Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Really, pull up a chair. It's been a long time since I've been behind this mic, and I cannot tell you how wonderful it feels, how home it feels, and what gratitude I am experiencing. All I can say is, in I think it's been about a month, three weeks or a month since I've been behind this mic. Um, I had a family emergency that needed attending to, and I am truly enveloped by the kindness of those I ran out on, clients, but especially the directorship of this station, who said to me, Andrea, when you come back, you know, I just didn't have the mindset to do the show, but Baruch Hashem, bless God, I am back. So before we even go to our first break, I'm very excited. I have to tell you about the condition of my house. I left the husband home alone. So we'll get up, you know, everybody go to the bathroom because the humor, the humor bone will kick in. But anyway, let me first say good night. Good night. It's late at night in the United States and Canada's listening in. Oh, hello, my blessed South Africa. I was with you. And I'm back here, but I'm always with you. Ghana is listening in this morning. We have the Russian Federation with us. And hello, we have listeners in the Russian Federation. This is fantastic. All right. When I come back, I'm going to describe to you the house I came home to. My husband learned to cook while I was gone. Not a good scene. I had to throw out, when I came home, I had to throw out the slow cooker, had to throw out the French press, had to throw out the sandwich maker. And all I can tell you is a CSI team could have come into this house and identified every meal he ate, even though he cleaned up. It was on the walls. It was on, it was bad. It was very, very bad. Um, oh, we have Iran listening in today. I am very happy. Did you miss me the way I missed you? <laughs> okay. Um It felt uh, traveling, traveling these days. They say it's getting normal. It doesn't feel that normal yet, although I did spend a lot of time in the Turkish area. I was in Istanbul, but I wasn't really in Istanbul. Airports are airports, but I do want to tell you there are no kosher restaurants in Istanbul. My name is Andrea Simintov, and guess what? I'll see you on the other side. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And we're back. Andrea Simento, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Uh, I'm looking out my window, my beautiful, uh, the beautiful view I have of southern Jerusalem. I can see the 
the remains of the castle, a castle of Herod. It's called Herodian. Um, there are Arab villages. There are the fields of Ramat Rachel. I can see part of the American consulate, but okay, can't get an appointment. But anyway, I'm just looking out and I'm just feeling the gratitude awash. If this if this show feels a little touchy-feely, like, oh, she's waxing so emotional. Um, it's true. It took me a long time after coming back from my overseas visit to kind of, I think the word was decompress. I had to adjust, I had to meld, and I almost fell to my knees upon landing in the airport. Walk, But, you know, I didn't want to look like some of those. We have a lot of Christian missionary visitors who kind of fall to their knees, and I didn't want to get confused with them. But I have to tell you, to be back in Eretz Israel was something I think we need to leave. We sometimes need to leave for a, an emergency, not just for vacation. Oh, I can't wait to ski in you know, the Alps. I can't wait to uh, go to Yosemite. But I mean, to go for a, a, a sort of a family crisis, to go out and come back and feel how blessed, how blessed it is to live in this land. So what have I learned? Okay, you're tuning in. So let me share with you what I learned. Many years ago, I worked in a, a center for um, children with uh, cognitive and somewhat physical disabilities. And I remember when I started working there, I had no experience in the field and I couldn't get over the noise. There was constant noise there. Music playing, the teachers were shouting, and you know, shouting, love, you can go for it, go, go, go. It was, it was absolutely brain numbing to me. And I said in a kind of arrogant fashion, which was my personality then, but not at all now. And I said, why so much noise? Why don't you give these kids some quiet? And the answer I received was these children, for the most part, live in a world of quiet. And in that quiet are learning opportunities. It's our job to fill the quiet with more and more learning opportunities. I thought about that lesson, that poignant lesson. As I was overseas, I was visiting South Africa and um, I had a lot of quiet time. For the first time, I had always, I've been many visits. I can't even tell you how frequently I've been to South Africa as I had many children living there over the years. And um, I always was kind of in what they call the Jewish ghetto. And it's just another variation. It's a variation of, uh, of Borough Park, of Flatbush, of Meir Sharim, of the Five Towns, and I guess other places that I haven't been to. But, um, and suddenly, I was in really the heart of Afrikaans community. And I had never been. I was a stranger for the first time. I was a stranger visiting my second home. And it was very interesting um, because in the quiet, there were no kosher delis for me to run out to and chat with people. I learned a few things. First thing I learned was, and I've repeated this before, I have learned that by living kindly, one can never get it wrong. I learned, meaning I learned what I knew, that good things come to those of us who wait it is not a platitude. It is not a brainy quote. It is real. Just we're not in charge of the timetable. 
And I learned that if God feels absent, guess what? It is me who is absent. Fabulous quote I've heard in many different ways. But if I can paraphrase, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are souls having a human experience. By accepting that, by understanding that, how can we be cruel to one another? How can we not recognize that every single one of us has within him a spark, a breath, a kiss of God in heaven? If you see one another deformed or well-formed, mentally challenged, mentally superior, physically weak, physically an Olympian. But if we see one another first as souls, we cannot help but act kindly. You know what else I learned? Um, I was appearing on, I was on a South African radio station uh, for a little while last week. And one of the callers said, you know, how does it feel to be away from? And they began to wax eloquently about Eretz Israel, about the kosher food and the Eruvs and the, the abundance of everything Jewish, everything it takes to live a fully Jewish life. And I was stunned. I was stunned by the question because I had forgotten. I so had taken my life here in Israel for granted that I forgot how we are perceived and blessed. And I thought to myself, if I could answer, I remember the caller, her name was Gail. That stuck with me. I have learned that I am blessed beyond reason to have been born Jewish and to have continuous access to the wisdom, to the humor, to historical lessons, to the abundant optimism of our flawed and fabulous forefathers and mothers. And please, God, my many, many descendants, what have I learned in my absence? I have learned that I'm a little bit spoiled. I'm definitely jaded from the Jewish abundance of this, of this land. And that humility goes a long way when I need to stand before God and ask for his blessings. Which brings us to the theme of this show, Broken and Blessed. How many of us have been to a museum, whether it's, I, I know that in the Middle East, I think that we have um, an Islamic museum here, but I know also that Asian museums, they display broken porcelain. And how is the porcelain put together for museum display or held for posterity over the years? It's painted, the broken pieces are painted and soldered with gold, the most beautiful gold. I think it's 24 karat, however it is, they paint it and it's solder it. You know, because one small misstep can take what is beautiful, can take what is complete and shatter it. But shattered doesn't mean gone. Shattered means it needs to be put together. I think about 
the luchos, the, the tablets that Moses, that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Sinai. And when he saw the sin of the golden calf, what did he do? He smashed them. But he went up again. And he came down again. And what he came down with, with had been put together with love, spit, glue, 24 carat gold of the souls of our people and the dreams of the future. And you know what we learned? It's that much more precious. When the bride and groom stand under the wedding canopy, the chuppah, at the end of the ceremony, after reading the marital contract, the ketubah, the groom then says, if I forget Jerusalem, let my right hand lose its cunning. I believe that's the word in English. And he smashes a glass. And it is said that the smashing of the glass means that even in the time of this great joy, we remember the destruction of the temple. I offer another possible explanation. We remember that without our temple, we are nothing. Without our temple, we are disconnected from one another. We are not glued. We also know that one misstep can destroy what is so precious, what is so delicate, what is so beautiful. What did I learn on my trip? What did I learn when I came back? What do I learn as I sit here humbly behind the microphone, the microscope? (laughs) Tread carefully. Let's tread carefully on one another's spirits, one another's souls, one another's dignity. That is what I am learning. When we come back, um, I have like weeks and weeks of information. You guys have probably caught all of it. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ugly things that are happening to Jews in the world and what we can do to remedy it. I came across a beautiful poem by the Lebanese-American poet Khalil Gibran that I want to share with you because I think it'll speak with all of us. I'm not sure I'm going to talk more about my husband's eating habits, uh, striving for happiness, and again, what is going on in our beautiful, beautiful Parsha. If you have any questions about what's going on today, anything you want to know about, challenge me with, suggest for a show, write to me. I'm here, Andrea, at IsraelNewsDocRadio.com. The only place, by the way, that your computer should remain on today. All right, let's see. Anything? I am so excited with who's listening in. By the way, when you drop me a note, tell me where you listen from. The world has grown smaller and smaller. And you know what? We can make it ugly. We can make it passionate. We can make it really hands across the nation. Looking forward to hearing from you. My name is Andrea Simintov. Guess what? I'll see you on the other side.
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We're back. We are back. Hold on a second. Here we go. Oh, all right. Happy to say Nigeria has joined us, as has the United Kingdom. By the way, my uh, my step-granddaughter was just married last week in the UK. All right. So Mazel Tov Dalia and her husband. All right. Um, a lot of, okay, so I'm going over my notes here, and I have to be very careful. We don't want to do any victim blaming, right? We, we don't do that on this show. So let me first start because I love this. And if I love it, I think you will love it too. Because why else are you listening to the show? I want to listen to her because I can't stand what she talks about. Um, all right. So I came across a beautiful poem called Fear. Any of you who are Khalil Gibran fans um, know that really Torah can be found everywhere. Touches the soul. But I think about fear. How many people say, I could never do that. I could never ski. I could never speak behind a microphone. I could never talk to a crowd. I can never (laughs) go to the supermarket when it opens at 7 a.m. There's a lot of fear out there. So I want to know what you think about this. It is said that before entering the sea, a river trembles with fear. She looks back at the path she has traveled from the peaks of the mountains, the long winding road crossing forests and villages. But there is no other way. The river cannot go back. Nobody can go back. To go back is impossible in existence. The river needs to take the risk of entering the ocean because only then will fear disappear. Because that's where the river will know it's not about disappearing into the ocean, but of becoming the ocean. I dedicate that poem to my friend, Simon. Okay. Um, Anybody who wants it, drop me a note. Happy to send it to you. Okay. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I snuck that in again. All right. Interesting. This was dated on February 7th. I know that we're later in the month, but listen, I've been kind of off the planet. Um, Article came out, came out in many sources. I don't remember where I got this from, but it says how to torture a Jew. A Bible teacher was accused of an abrasive lesson, that's in quote, in middle school class, Um, public school class. And there was a Bible class and a mother of a Tennessee middle schooler accused her daughter's Bible teacher of teaching students, 
quote, how to torture a Jew, according to reports raising questions about teaching religion in public schools. Certainly a fair question, teaching religion in public schools. That's my inside. Anyway, the mother, who I'm going to keep nameless because I am going to take her to task a bit. Um, she's Jewish. And she wrote in a Facebook post that she withdrew her eighth grade daughter from the class after the teacher wrote an English translation of the Hebrew name for God on the whiteboard, which is traditionally not spoken out loud by Jews. You all know the, you know, and then, okay. So the teacher said, um, if you want to know how to torture a Jew, make them say this out loud. He allegedly told the class and, um, This was reported. So she said, my daughter felt very uncomfortable hearing a teacher instruct her peers on how to torture a Jew. And apparently the daughter, I think, was the only Jew in the class. So the mom and and her family are reformed Jews and they belong to a congregation. It doesn't matter. But this is where I have an issue and I want to know what your thoughts are. She said that her daughter was asked invasive questions about her faith and made her feel singled out as Jewish in a class that was heavy handed with its Christian teachings. Okay, Um, And the mom said, I thought if it was really a Bible history class, it wouldn't be an issue for her or a conflict with our religious beliefs. This is not meant to blame the victim, but I have to ask If we are not preparing our Jewish children to answer questions, I know it happened to me, myself, and I, and I grew up in a very culturally Jewish school. I actually went to what we call Talmud Torah as a young child, but I lived a very secular life. And I remember being in college and being identified wherever I went as Jewish. I was the only Jew in many of my classes and Unlike uh, many people said, no, Jews don't believe that anymore. Jews don't do this anymore. I thought to myself, well, what do Jews believe? Why can I not answer that question? And I personally went out on a mission to find out what Jews believe. Um, Parents listening in, there are so many of us who are not yet connected to authentic Judaism. Now is your opportunity. Um, I could sit and say, go on to H.com, go into Orsameach, go into Na'alei, go into Chabad websites. There's a lot of places to go. Drop me a note. I will help guide you. Make sure that your sources are authentic. Make sure that they are um, not like a menu, one from column A and one from column B. Teach your children. Protect them. This little girl has been short. She has been slighted. She has nothing to answer and to sit and put a child in that class and think it's going to be okay and think it'll be parv enough, not milk, not meat, just good enough. We're setting our children up for nightmares, additionally, on the college campuses. We know what is happening to Jews on college campuses. They're being singled out. Jewish boys and girls afraid to wear a, a Jewish star, a Magen David, afraid to wear a chai, afraid to wear a chamsa, although I think a chamsa is kind of in, um, afraid to wear yarmulkes. My gosh, let's protect our children. Let them know who they are. Stand up straight. I cannot think of another culture in the world that cowers and does not celebrate 
who they are. Okay, that's all I wanted to say there. Okay, so came across a very interesting article in Psychology Today. I want to know what you think. Oh my gosh, we're only down to five minutes left in this part. Wow. Oh, okay. Um, you know, sometimes our expectations, you know, I want to be happy. I want to be, why is everybody so happy? I'm drowning in articles because of my algorithms, how to be happy, how to reach contentment, how to be joy, how to have your personal best. You know, um, a lot of times I find myself hitting a wall. I, you know, how do I deal with people? How do I deal with life? So I came across a lovely little checklist. And I think the checklist works for all of us, whether we're listening in from Iran, Ghana, Great Britain, Canada, okay? Um, we have to stop trying to control the things we cannot control. We have to stop trying to change things that aren't changing. What was the Einstein definition of idiocy? Um, doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result. Stop trying to help someone who doesn't want your help. Stop trying. Stop doing something that isn't working. I like this one. Stop doing something, even though you've always done it that way. How much in my, how often in my coaching practice do I hear? In my family, we didn't. Yeah, I very often want to say, well, how how'd that work out for you? Okay, stop doing something even though you've always done it that way. Stop moving forward without asking, what do I want? Where am I trying to go? Is this working? What is this costing me? I'm really talking about the art of stopping. It's just lovely. Um, stopping could be really the kindest act of self-care and self-growth and self-expansion you can engage in. So maybe over our Shabbos table, you know, I always do this, uh, you know, from the Torah to your table, we could talk about what we can stop doing to make our lives better. All right. Very quickly came across a great quote by Charlie Chaplin on forgiveness. I've forgiven mistakes that were indeed almost unforgivable. I've tried to replace people who were irreplaceable and tried to forget those who were unforgettable. I've acted on impulse and have been disappointed by people when I thought this could never be possible. But I have also disappointed those who I love. I've laughed on inappropriate occasions. I've made friends that are friends for life. I screamed and jumped for joy. I've loved and I've been loved back. But I've also been rejected. I've lived for love alone and made vows of eternal love. I've had my heart broken many times. I've cried while listening to music and looking at old pictures. I've called someone just to hear their voice on the other side. I've fallen in love with a smile. At times, I thought I would die because I missed someone so much. I'm not just passing through life and you shouldn't either. Live. The best thing in life is to go ahead with all of your plans and your dreams, to embrace life and live every day with passion, to lose and still keep the faith and to win while being grateful. 
all of this because the world belongs to those who dare to go after what they want and because life is really too short to be insignificant. Guess what? That might have been Charlie Chaplin, but between you and me, wink, wink, that is Torah. Live kindly, live abundantly. You won't get it wrong. My name's Andrea Simintov. I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. The time is racing, Andrea Simintope. This is the third and final section of our show. Let me give a shout out to Austin Gibbs, my buddy who's listening in from Johannesburg. Um, <laughs> he actually just wrote me a note. Love hearing from you. Uh, this is where we generally jump right into Parsha. But again, Torah related. Um, before we go in, just two things I wanted to share. Um, an elderly Italian woman. This came across, I don't know how I found this, but it goes back to our being aware and seeing we are all so intimately, spiritually, heavenly connected to one another. And when we break the bonds, we become our personal worsts, worsts, our personal worst, our universal worst. Um, An elderly Italian woman was found sitting at her table. I kid you not, two years after she passed away, she was a decomposed body. I don't want to get into graphic details of a 70 year old Italian woman was found sitting at her table two years after she died. And they made this grim discovery uh, after going to Marinella Barretta. I hope I said her name properly in Pristino near Lake Como. I, I think that's in northern northern Italy. And they were carrying out a house call because there was a high wind forecast And um, neighbors said they last saw her in September 2019 and made assumptions, assumptions, you know, A-S-S-U-M-E, when you assume, you make an ass of you and me. Uh, She had moved away at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And based on the level of decay, they discovered she was two years gone. She has no surviving relatives, according to authorities. And of course, they have all kinds of quotes in the local council made they covered her funeral costs that's not my question what has happened to us this is an opportunity for all of us to do what we say in hebrew nefesh, to take stock of our souls to take stock of what we are doing here on this earth with one another It's happened in New York. I've heard these stories. People in apartment buildings, not knowing people down the hall. It is not okay. And if that is a commitment we make, 
to get to know a neighbor, the person we see sitting at the bus stop day in, day out, and have not spoken to for years, to finally say, good morning, you look lovely in that scarf. Or the weather is changing, is your house warm, but not to let it go. Okay, last thing before Parsha, another thing, came across Sasha Baron Cohen. We all know the Borat movies, his Ali G. I must tell you, I am not a buddy. I am not a fan. Um, the vulgarity has absolutely, I, I find it, I find shame as one Jew to another in a lot of his vulgar comedy. Having said that, came across a quote by Sasha Baron Cohen, where he says, when I was in university, I studied history, and there was this one major historian of the Third Reich. His name was Ian Kershaw. And his quote was, the path to Auschwitz was paved with indifference. I know it's not very funny being a comedian talking about the Holocaust, but I think it's an interesting idea that not everyone in Germany had to be a raving anti-Semite. They just had to be apathetic. Put those two stories together and uh, let's grow together. All right. I ain't lecturing boys and girls. I'm holding hands. Okay. This week's Parsha. <laughs> my voice now. This week's Parsha. Okay, hold on. I'm like a I'm like a teenage boy hitting puberty. One second. Hmm. Good coffee. All right. Told you I had to make French press coffee. I had to throw out the French. My husband broke everything. It was terrible. It was a scene. And then he kept saying to me, I think the house looks pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. All right. All right. How to save a second marriage. Next topic. Okay. Parsha is key tisa. So how did the sages, I may go back and forth and use the word chazal for sages. Bear with me. I hope you're keeping your Hebrew English dictionaries or your word list. So how do the sages describe the events at the Red Sea, the Yamsuf? So studying, <clears throat> studying the texts of Nechama Leibovitch, she brings down that if a maidservant at the splitting of the Red Sea was capable of divine inspiration, why is she still referred to as a maidservant as, and not as a prophetess? So the answer is that revelations and unique events on their own do not create prophets. How many of us have been inspired, inspired enough to come home from an event or put down a book that we hold close to our chest and say, I am altered, I am changed? The answer is that a person can experience the miraculous and yet remain the same person, a person's new knowledge and awareness gained from miraculous occurrences don't necessarily affect as a change in our personalities. Miracles, you know, regardless of how awe-inspiring they are, cannot change a human being's nature. They can only momentarily shake the human soul out of everyday concepts, but they cannot in themselves effect lasting transformation. The maidservant, after the event at the Red Sea, she still kind of kept her humble stature that she possessed prior to the miraculous event. Real prophets 
the genuine article. You know, on the other hand, they reach prophecy only after a long and arduous process of character development, self-perfection. Prophecy is only a climax to their efforts. What is count? What matters? The efforts. Therefore, um, it becomes an integral part of their personality. We can now understand why what we call the erav rav really is the populace the Kilroys among them, they turned so quickly to idolatry. They were idol worshipers who lived through miraculous events. These events, so for a while decade- they were unique and spontaneous, they left no lasting impression. Once the revelation at Sinai had spent itself, the populace returned to their idolatrous ways and, you know, dragging Israel down in their wake. A single miraculous experience, regardless of how awe-inspiring it is, is not capable of changing a people from idol worship into a God-fearing nation. Only a prolonged, sustained discipline in the precepts of Torah so that Torah directs every moment of existence can cause a nation to go from worshiping idols to fearing Hashem. It's only through studying, observing the Torah, embracing it as a blueprint with its laws that regulate our relationship with ourselves, with our neighbors, with our family, our society. This is the only way that it can protect us from moral failures. Okay, so a really very good case in point. We read earlier of Betzalel. Betzalel was the artist who built the tabernacle. Here we have an art institute in Israel called the Betzalel Institute. I love Israel. So Betzalel understood that it's not the miraculous which inspires that fear of heaven, but rather it's a constant study of Torah and the performance of the mitzvot, the commandments, which enable a person to build his own mishkan, his own tabernacle to Hashem. Moshe commanded Betzalel that he should first build the Aaron, that I say the Aaron, the, the Ark, okay, and then the other vessels, and finally the tent of the Mishkan. However, Betzalel objected to Moshe, the great Moshe, and said, if someone builds a house, doesn't he first build its exterior structure to shelter his furniture? If the Aaron, the Ark, is constructed first, where shall I subsequently place it? Once it's completed, has Hashem not told you, Moshe, that I should first build the Mishkan itself and then the Aaron, followed by the other accessories? Moshe admitted that Salah was right and that the Mishkan should be built before the Aaron. But Salah understood that it is human. It's basic to human nature that before one can reach the level of a miracle, of the Aaron and approaching God's glory, one has to first have the permanency of a home or a mishkan where one is surrounded by Torah and mitzvot. Okay, 
So the rabbis of the Talmud commented that Jews do a lot better spiritually speaking in much more modest financial circumstances than with great wealth. For most of the past two millennia, during the dark times of the exile, dealing with wealth was really not a Jewish problem. There always were individual Jews who somehow achieved great wealth and power, but the overwhelming majority of Jews were poor, if not even destitute. Of course, in the U.S. and Israel, the Jewish community has become quite prosperous. Nevertheless, in winding down today's show, I I must share Rabbi Wine's take. Wealth and humility do not often combine in one personality. The ability to handle one's wealth and material possessions wisely with balance, with equanimity, it's a major challenge, and one should recognize it as such. The Torah and Talmud do not preach poverty as an ideal way of life or a value of its own. We always preach balance in almost all ways of living. This balance is the key to avoid that golden calf syndrome. Let us all pray to be blessed with financial prosperity. We pray to be blessed with wisdom and balance to handle it properly. Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 